Hey, Five Oaks family. Welcome to the on-demand and podcast version of our weekend service. Let me tell you uh, what it is and why we've made some changes uh, to both our podcast and our on-demand. It's basically the same sermon, plus some important information that you need to know as part of the Five Oaks family. Everything from the live sermon is included, but it's a lot tighter and shorter because it's pre-recorded, and I do the readings, and I do the prayers myself. The reason for this change is actually kind of simple. We need, as a staff team, we need more time to regroup and to get more training and to work the bugs out of the new live stream system um, and even out of our processes. Uh, we're still going to offer live streaming of the service, but we can't depend on it for on-demand. When something goes wrong, it impacts the on-demand version, and then everybody is impacted. Uh, last week, we had a malfunctioning of an output from a brand new piece of equipment. It's maddening. But to be frank, we still should have caught it. And for that, I apologize. Now, on the brighter side, uh, I think many of you are going to find this tighter format to be very helpful. This means that for you to experience the whole service, and that's really what we want most for you, please attend the live stream of the 9 a.m. And then starting on September 13th, you can go to the live stream at 9 a.m. and at 11 a.m. This recording uh, will now also serve as our backup for our live stream should something go wrong. And once we have a few weeks without mishap under our belt, we'll resume offering the whole service on demand. I just want to thank you. I want to thank you for your patience. I want to thank you for your grace. And I want to thank you for your prayers. So just a little transition here for a moment. Today we're, we're in week four of our Jonah series. And we're looking at the most basic component of raising our outreach temperature, something we've been talking about throughout this series. And really the most basic component of getting on mission for God. It's also the most basic component in raising the temperature of our joy and our energy that we need under all circumstances, even these COVID circumstances. The most basic component for raising our outreach temperature is experiencing how amazing, amazing grace is. It's about experiencing grace's amazingness. It's about moving it from our heads to our heart. A couple of weeks ago, I was right here down, downstairs working at my stand-up desk in our family room. And Lois was watching two of our grandchildren. And their friend from two doors down was here playing with them. Normally, I'd move to another room for greater quiet and less interruptions, or I'd put in my AirPods so that I can concentrate. But they were being so quiet. It was more like a coffee shop noise in the background, and I work well with coffee shop noise. I was playing the soundtrack uh, from a movie called Driveways uh, in our overhead speakers, so it was playing throughout the room while they're playing and while I'm working. And the music from this beautiful, simple movie just enhanced the whole scene for me. Uh, it enhanced the blessing that I was experiencing that very moment. I was quite simply overwhelmed with emotion for the amazingness of my grandkids and for the scene that I was watching and that I was able to experience that. It was just beautiful watching them play as I worked. Now, if I'd left the room or if I'd put on my AirPods, I would have missed amazing. Why do I tell you this? I tell you this because I want this sermon 
in this Jonah series to become the soundtrack that leads you and leads all of us together to experience amazing all over again and in deeper ways. I want you to experience how amazing, amazing God's grace is. And to do that, I want to share the path to amazing. Here's the story so far as we look today at Jonah again. Here's the story so far in the book of Jonah. The book of Jonah, a subversive story about a rebellious prophet who hates God for loving his enemies. Jonah's unique among the prophets of the Old Testament because they're typically collections of God's words spoken through the prophet. But this book doesn't actually focus on the words of the prophet. Rather, it's a story about a prophet, a really mean and nasty prophet. Jonah appears only one other time in the Old Testament. It's during the reign of Jeroboam II, one of Israel's worst kings. And Jonah prophesied in his favor, promising that he would win a battle and regain all this territory on Israel's northern border. Now, it's important to know that the prophet Amos also confronted Jeroboam, and through him God specifically reversed Jonah's prophecy, promising that Jeroboam would lose all of those same territories because he was so horrible. So before the story of Jonah even begins, we are suspicious of Jonah's character. The book of Jonah has a beautiful design with all this literary pairing and symmetry. So you have chapters 1 and 3 telling the story of Jonah's encounter with non-Israelites, first with some sailors and then with Jonah's hated enemies, the Ninevites. And each part offers a comic contrast between Jonah's selfishness and the pagans' humility and repentance. Chapters 2 and 4 contain prayers of Jonah. One is a prayer of repentance, kind of, and the other is a prayer in which Jonah chews out God for being too nice. Now, this careful design of the book is matched by a really unique style of narration. The story is full of all of these stereotyped characters who, ironically, do the exact opposite of what you think they would do. So you have the prophet, the man of God, who rebels and hates his own God. You have the sailors who are supposed to be really immoral, but actually they have soft, repentant hearts and turn to God in humility. You have the king of the most powerful, murderous empire on the planet, and he humbles himself before God because of Jonah's five-word sermon, and even the king's cows repent. This kind of story fits what today we would call satire. These are stories about well-known figures who are placed in extreme circumstances, and they use humor and irony to critique their stupidity and character flaws. Let's just dive in and we'll see how all the pieces work together. The story opens as God addresses Jonah and commissions him to go preach against the evil and injustice in Nineveh, the capital city of the Assyrian Empire, Israel's bitter enemy. But instead of going east to Nineveh, Jonah goes in the opposite direction, finding a ship going as far west as you can go to Tarshish. Now the big question here is why? Why does Jonah run? Is he afraid? Does he just not like Ninevites? And we're not told yet. So the man of God tries to run from God, and he boards a ship full of pagan sailors. He goes down into the ship, and then he falls asleep. So God sends a huge storm to wake up his prophet, while ironically the sailors above board are wide awake to everything that's happening. They can discern that there's a divine power at work here. So they throw the dice, and they discover that Jonah, he is the culprit. So they ask Jonah to explain himself, and Jonah spouts off a whole bunch of religious mumbo-jumbo. He says, yeah, I'm a Hebrew, and I worship the Lord, the God who made the sea and the dry land. What a joke, right? God made the sea and the dry land all right, and Jonah's dumb enough to run from this God by getting on a boat? And when the sailors ask Jonah what 
they should do, he says, kill me, right, by throwing me overboard, which kind of seems noble at first, until you realize this could actually be his most selfish move yet. I mean, what better way to avoid going to Nineveh? So he puts his blood on these innocent sailors' hands by trying to force them to kill him. They're reluctant, of course, and they repent to God even as they toss him over. The storm subsides, and they end up fearing the God of Israel, and unlike Jonah, they actually worship God. But God foils Jonah's plans to escape Nineveh. As Jonah's sinking, God provides this strange watery tomb for him, the stomach of a large fish. Now, of course, under normal circumstances, this would be certain death. But in this story, everything's upside down. And so Jonah's submarine death becomes his passage back to life. Cramped in the stomach of this beast, Jonah utters a prayer, where he never technically says that he's sorry, but he does thank God for not abandoning him, and he promises that he will obey God from this point on, no matter what. And God's response is quite comic. The whale vomits Jonah back onto dry land. So that's the story so far, and today we're looking at picking up in verse 17 of chapter 1 and going through verse 10 of chapter 2. Now, the Lord provided a huge fish to swallow Jonah, and Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. And from inside the fish, Jonah prayed to the Lord, his God. He said, in my distress, I called to the Lord, and he answered me from deep in the realm of the dead. I called for help, and you listened to my cry. You hurled me into the depths, into the very heart of the seas, and the current swirled about me. All your waves and breakers swept over me. I said... I have been banished from your sight, yet I will look again toward your holy temple. The engulfing waters threatened me. The deep surrounded me. Seaweed was wrapped around my head. To the roots of the mountains I sank down. The earth beneath barred me in forever. But you, Lord my God, brought my life up from the pit. When my life was ebbing away, I remembered you, Lord, and my prayer rose to you, to your holy temple. Those who cling to worthless idols turn away from God's love for them. But I, with shouts of grateful praise, will sacrifice to you. What I have vowed, I will make good. I will say salvation comes from the Lord. And the Lord commanded the fish, and it vomited Jonah unto dry land. Jonah had lost sight of God's grace for him, so he also lost sight of his mission to spread the message of God's love and grace to people who are far from God, even enemies of God and enemies of God's people. This is a story that's continued in the life and ministry of Jesus. Um, if you have read the Gospels, you know that God's people in his day had lost sight of the mission. Jesus sought to re-engage them by demonstrating what the mission looks like. So what did he do? He loved, he healed, he proclaimed the gospel. He was with, he befriended what they called tax collectors and sinners. People basically far from God. Why do we lose sight of the mission? We lose sight of the mission because we lose sight of the amazingness of grace. Many of you have seen the clip from the old Conan O'Brien show. His guest is the now disgraced Louis C.K., it was a bit that they did on how amazing, amazing technology is, yet how we miss its amazingness. So Louis C.K. gives some examples of that. He says, we get impatient with our phones, 
um, when we have just a like a second of hesitation and responsiveness, even though the signal that we have sent it is going all the way up to satellites and then all the way back to Earth. <laughs> we, we get impatient with a 20-minute delay on a plane, uh, a plane that's going cross-country in just a few hours when it used to take a lifetime to cross the country. People died. Babies were born. A different group arrived than the one who left every time. So this routine that he does with Conan O'Brien was after Wi-Fi had just been introduced for the first time on planes. And so he heard it announced on his plane, he said, and then it broke down. And the guy next to him is like cursing the system. Louis C.K. says this guy is mad and he feels entitled to something that he didn't even know existed 10 minutes ago. And he, uh, in, in, in that routine, Louis C.K. just keeps on saying, we live in an amazing, amazing world, but it's being wasted on us because we don't know how amazing it is. We're spoiled. Well, that describes Jonah with regard to grace. That describes the people of God uh, regarding grace when Jesus came. And if we're honest... It describes us as well. So what's the path back to amazing? The path to experiencing the amazing, amazing grace of God. This passage shows us. And it begins by recognizing the bottom. That's where it begins for all of us. I'm talking about hitting bottom. We get a front row view of Jonah's descending to the bottom and then reaching it. One of the uh, literary features um, in the telling of Jonah's story is literally the recurring word down, 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 and down. So if you were to read the Hebrew text, it says Jonah goes down to Joppa. Then it says he goes down into the ship. Once in the ship, it says he goes down into the depths of the ship. And finally, when he gets thrown into the sea, it says he goes down into the depths of the ocean. It's in the depths of the ocean that he finally hits bottom. Jonah 2.3 says this, You hurled me into the depths, into the very heart of the seas, and the currents swirled about me. All your waves and breakers swept over me. I said, I have been banished from your sight. The ultimate bottom... <laughs> For all of humanity is separation from God. And we hit bottom when we recognize it. That's what he's describing when he's saying that he's been banished from God's sight. He's descent, describing God's judgment on him. Now, understand this. The whole trajectory of his personal choices are to run from God's sight and to run from God's will. His choice is to get as far from God as possible. That's his choice. Don't miss it. Jonah gives us an explanation of why we do it in verse 8. Here's what he says. Those who cling to worthless idols turn away from God's love for them. When we cling to worthless gods, we turn away. We turn away from what? We turn away from God's love. When we cling to worthless gods, we turn away, we do, from God's love. This judgment is on him. God gives him what he wants. It's on him. But God is active in judgment. God is active in judgment, but his judgment is always tied to giving us what we have wanted and pursued with wild abandon. 
which is independence from him, getting our way, rejecting his realm and his rule. But that's not all. God's judgment is also always tied to giving us what we deserve because justice matters to God. But here's one more important thing. The justice you and I deserve for our sins is a calculation that only God can make. It's one that only God can see, but it's always greater than we imagine for ourselves. I personally struggle with God's judgment. I always have, but I trust him with my struggles. Recognizing bottom is the first step on the path to experiencing amazing. The second is to remember God's mercy. Notice how Jonah speaks at the very bottom under God's judgment and his words of hope. Jonah 2.4 says this, I've been banished from your sight, yet I will look again toward your holy temple. The engulfing, uh, engulfing waters threatened me. The deep surrounded me. Seaweed was wrapped around my head. To the roots of the mountains, I sank down. The earth beneath barred me in forever. But you, Lord my God, brought my life up from the pit. When my life was ebbing away, I remembered you. I remembered you, Lord, and my prayer rose to you, to your holy temple. So what's going on here in this passage? The temple was the residence of the holy God. And in the temple, the most holy place, there was a place called the most holy place, and it contained the second edition of the Ten Commandments, those tablets. The first ones were destroyed by Moses. So those Ten Commandments were commands that we have never kept. God's people have never kept faithfully. The tablets were kept in the Ark of the Covenant in the temple in the most holy place. But on top of the Ark of the Covenant sat a gold slab where a special day each year, the Day of Atonement, the high priest sprinkled the blood of an atoning sacrifice for the sins of the people. So do you get the picture? He looks to the most holy place because it's in that most holy place that he experiences the mercy of God. Jonah is remembering God's mercy. He's well on the path to experiencing the amazingness of grace. Recognizing bottom is the first stop on the path to experiencing amazing. Remembering God's mercy toward us bottom dwellers is next, but it's incomplete. Along the path to experiencing amazing, is recognizing the cost of grace. You see, mercy is great, but to understand and truly appreciate and experience the amazingness of grace, you have to, you have to get the cost of grace. It's the cost that's amazing, amazing. Jonah and the people of Israel didn't quite get that. The blood of the animal sacrifices was only a temporary mercy until the greatest act of grace would appear. It pointed to Jesus who was the Lamb of God, who would take away the sin of the world. Tim Keller writes about how it is that we miss this amazingness. This is what he writes. God's grace is not stunning because they don't feel they need it, or at least not so much. Others do indeed see themselves as failures, but while they may have some notion of an abstract God of love— they have little idea of the enormity of Jesus' sacrifice to purchase them out of debt, slavery, and death. They aren't lost 
in wonder, love, and praise at the lengths and depths to which he has gone for us. This whole series is really about this path to experiencing amazing. And as a church, we're on a journey. It's a very challenging one to be on during COVID, but it's going to be an exciting challenge to introduce to you this special challenge that we're on. Uh, I'd like you to hear from one of our longtime members, Jay Dorenkamp. Hello, everyone. My name is Jay Dorenkamp, and my wife Lori and I have been attending Five Oaks for 19 years. Our two sons grew up at Five Oaks, and I have served in a variety of roles over the years, including small group leader, concierge volunteer, men's mentor, and past governing board chair. Today I'm speaking to you in a new role as the chairperson for a capital campaign Five Oaks is launching this fall called BLESS. BLESS is a $1.7 million campaign that will allow Five Oaks to create a more welcoming environment in our space and eliminate debt. These two initiatives are intending to be a catalyst of change for how Five Oaks can be a blessing to our congregation, our community, and the world. I'm really excited for you to join us on this journey, especially as we are all looking for ways to be more engaged in our church during this time of COVID-19. I think many of us are tired of waiting and postponing both big and little moments in our lives. BLESS is a way for you and I to take action and see what kind of an impact we can make right now. I can't tell you how much I totally resonate with Jay's words about being tired of waiting and postponing both big and little moments in our lives. Bless is a way for you and me to see what kind of impact we can make right now in the time of COVID. More information will be coming soon. But right around the corner are some important updates that uh, you need as a Five Oaks family member. So I really want to ask you to please stay with me for a couple more minutes as we highlight some news for our church family. And then I'm going to close in prayer. And if you stay, you can also watch or listen to the Five Oaks Fog. It's a story that demonstrates the gospel right in the center of Minneapolis about some of our own people demonstrating the love of Jesus in the center of Minneapolis with a lot of the destruction that has taken place. Hello, everyone. We have two exciting pieces of news to share with all of you. In fact, you may want to grab a pencil or pen so you can write this down or have your phone handy so you can take notes. Two big changes are coming on September the 13th. The first is that starting on the 13th, we will be offering two in-person services on Sunday. So we will have a nine o'clock and an 11 o'clock in-person service starting on September the 13th. As always, we will have advanced RSVPs for both of those services on our website. Now, the second exciting thing that's happening is that starting on September the 13th, Five Oaks Kids is reopening for some of our youngest Five Oakers. If you have a child, infant through two years old, the nursery will be reopening for both the nine and 11 o'clock service. If you have a child three years old through pre-K, our preschool classrooms will be opening for both services. 
And if you have a child kindergarten through fifth grade, we have a couple options for you. You can continue to come as a family to our Five Oaks Kids Family Experience, or you can all join us as a family in our regular services at both the nine and an 11 o'clock. Again, RSVPs will be required for all of these. So definitely check out our website starting on September the 13th to figure out which option will work best for you and your family. We look forward to seeing everybody there. All right, quick review on the steps to the path to amazing. We have to recognize the bottom as the first step. Recognizing the bottom is recognizing our desperate need for God's grace. And then we have to remember God's mercy toward us, us bottom dwellers. That's what's next. That's the next step on the path. But it's incomplete. Along the path to experiencing amazing is recognizing the cost of grace. So let me close this sermon with a, a prayer of praise and thanksgiving for God's grace. I want to ask you to please join me in that prayer. And then stay tuned for a, a most encouraging edition of The Fog. Let's pray. Father, I just thank you uh, for, for Jesus, for the cross, for your grace, for the cost to you, for the cost to, of, um, to God the Son. And Father, I pray that we would recognize just how amazing that is, that it would permeate not just our minds but our hearts, and that through that, uh, our, our temperature for taking that message of grace to others, living out that message in our daily lives, that it would just go up. Uh, Father, I pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, hello, Five Oaks Nation. Pastor Love here with another great story of Five Oaks goodness. This time about a parking lot, a partner church, and a day of hard work to transform a space for gathering. During the unrest in the Twin Cities earlier this summer, we reached out to our partner, Union Gospel Mission, to see if they could connect us with a church in an affected area that might need food and essential items. They connected us with St. Paul Fellowship Church. As we delivered food that a number of people from Five Oaks had provided, they found that they had another need. During the recent opioid crisis, their parking lot was being used more and more for drug use and drug dealing than it had been for community gatherings, in large part because of some overgrown trees and brush. And St. Paul Fellowship wanted to reclaim it for the, the use of, of community gatherings by nicely landscaping it and creating an open area that would discourage drug use and instead be conducive to community gatherings. After leaders from Five Oaks Journeymen studied the site with Pastor Scott from St. Paul Fellowship, they hatched a plan that resulted in about 20 men, women, and children from Five Oaks and a good number of people from St. Paul Fellowship and some of their youth descending on the parking lot on August 22nd to remove overgrown trees and brush and spread 30 yards of mulch and transform the parking lot area into a beautiful meeting place. There was great fellowship with fellow followers of Jesus and good interaction with curious onlookers. The people of St. Paul Fellowship were incredibly grateful. Thanks to all of you who were engaged in being the hands and feet of Jesus on August 22nd. This is Pastor Love signing off from another great week of the Weekly Fog with another great story of Five Oaks goodness. Have a great weekend, everybody.